Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. This show is for veterans, first responders, and their families, and honestly, for anybody who wants to recover from trauma. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. Our vision is of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please help with this mission by following and rating this show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This simple action will help others find help for PTS injuries. Your help in promoting this podcast could be saving a life. Good morning, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Veterans, first responders, and their families. Today on the show, I have myself a superstar documentary filmmaker, Patrice Perio. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, it's my pleasure to be uh, on your show, and thank you for having me on your show. Well, it's we were just saying how important it is. Every time somebody sees a, an image, um, a documentary film, somebody else that's putting up their hand and saying, yeah, me too. Every time somebody sees someone that is brave enough to recover out loud, as as we see in your documentary film, that gives somebody else the courage that you are lending your courage to somebody else to finally put their hand up, which is the hardest thing in the whole journey is putting up your hand and going, yeah, I think I got me a problem and I need some help. It's the hardest thing to do. But um, so let, let's talk about how did you meet the fella in the film there? How did you meet Mike? On my previous project, uh, there was a documentary called 10 Days an equine therapy for vets and first responders. I did this uh, documentary uh, out west in Cornell, B.C., on the Forge. Uh, the, the program's name is called The Forge, um, and it's, it was, uh, it's a project that has been created by both Terry and Paul Nichols. So Paul is a veteran from the Canadian Armed Forces. And so um, Paul met or knew Michael Terry, and they both talked about me and they said, well, you know, you shouldn't meet this guy about talking about me. And eventually, uh, Michael called me and he said, well, this is my story. This is what I'm about, I'm about to do. And I thought we should talk about it. You know, he had no specific intent when he, when he called me. It was just to let me know about his story. And then as he started talking about the story, I said, well, let's wait. Let, let's not go too far now <laughs> because this really is interesting and I'd like to know how we can do something with your story. And his story was one of a veteran that has been in the army for now 23 years has had PTSD for 17 or 18 of these 20 some years while working in, in the military. And as he retired, decided to travel across Canada to both try to heal because that immediately after he left uh, the army, he felt something, he knew something was wrong already, but it just enhanced. And so by going on the road again, serving his country, that was his main goal, and healing uh, or starting a healing process by being on the road and connecting with other vets that are isolated throughout Canada. So that was his story. And then I 
I said, well, I'm going to tell your story. Um, and then it developed because initially it was about Michael Terry only traveling across Canada to build bridges and start conversations uh, with other veterans. And so I went wider. I told them, listen, we're going to also meet first responders and civilians because PTSD is not only about military. So developing this project, something came out of it. Something else also came out of it, aside from the documentary that I'm filming, that I just stopped uh, filming actually a few days ago. It was just completed a few days ago. But I started interviewing individuals, veterans, first responders, and uh, civilians. Started that last summer and continued until this summer, about somewhere around the, the, second, or the 10th of July. And up to this point, I've interviewed 40 individuals. So this will also become another documentary of all these testimonies that I'll put together. So that that kind of that kind of echoes the documentary with Michael. So this is kind of a tough space to be spending time in. In people, when people are getting into peer support, or if they are a caseworker at Veterans Affairs, these are all high burnout positions. And now you've kind of put yourself in the same position, hearing these stories again and again, and trying to learn at a deeper level what's going on with people. How have you been doing all this? Do you find that it's uh, taking its toll on you? I must admit that it has at some point uh, taken a toll on on me, but I would also say on us because I've got my colleague, Gauthier Mignot, who has been on this project uh, since uh, last summer uh, doing the interview. He was accompanying me while I was doing the interviews, so he was there as well. Uh, so I must admit that sometimes we came out of some interviews and it was really tough, uh, emotionally speaking. Um, but I did realize that, or I'd say that it's not my story that I'm telling, it's theirs. So when they're talking to me, I'm not trying to, um, I'm not trying to make their stories mine. And so I'm kind of a vector. I'm kind of a tool in that story, uh, that overall story where I'm the in-between. I'm between you as a spectator and them. And so this is one thing. Second thing, the fact that I'm also with, I'm not alone doing this, the two of us, as soon as we complete an interview, we get on the road as well, right after that. But before going on the road, we also do a photo shoot with that person. And that's very important for us. Because doing the photo shoot is like a little photo session, portrait that I do outside. So that allows us, with that person that we just interviewed, to just get out of that moment. You know, detach from that emotional moment that we just spent an hour and a half uh, talking about. And so lightened the mood a bit. And it allows me to feel like I'm leaving that person on another note, which is the portrait. I'm showing these people on a different level than the interviews. The interviews, when you're looking at it, you know what you're going to, well, you have an idea of what you're going to expect the environment. They're going to talk about PTSD. They're going to talk about what's coming after. I did not want to identify these people only on the basis of their testimony. So that's why the photo shoot is really important. But doing this photo shoot 
allows us to get out of that interview moment and talk about other things. And so the emotional level goes down a bit, you know, it just lightens a bit. And then once we take the road, it also allows us on the road to talk about the fact that we're on the road after it allows us to talk about it. And then talking about it is really, really important. And sometimes it's not necessarily talking for 10 minutes. It's sometimes it's just looking at each other and saying, okay, that was a tough one. Yeah. What do we do with that? You know, what? How do we react? And and we exchange, and that that helps a lot. You're giving yourself a form of a critical incident stress debriefing, and I heard myself saying this when I was explaining it uh, just the other day. When you do a CISD, a critical critical incident stress debrief, so right after a big event or a big interview, as anything that is pretty heavy duty and <laughs> a lot to carry. Just acknowledging that it was in fact something that you just that like that was a big one. Yeah. Um, just acknowledging it, acknowledging it with another human being and breathing through it. Just that simple act is so important because what it does is it counteracts the sometimes very normal human reaction of burying it, just going oh that yeah no big deal, move on, carry on, soldier on. Yeah. When you when you bury it, that that allows you to carry on if you're still in the fight. But if you're not in, still in the fight, you don't have to be in that mode. You know, it's okay to take that breath and go. Okay, that was something else. Um, how you doing? <laughs> well, I'm pretty shaken up. That's understandable. Just that little bit of affirmation and. Um, how that rep- I don't know how it works neurologically or physiologically, but it works. And I'm so glad that uh, uh, whether by hook or by crook, you're, you're, whether it's by accident or not, you're doing it. So um, that's good because you, you won't be able to continue this work for very long if you don't do that self-care. So w- well done on you. And actually, actually, there's two things from what you just mentioned. Uh, many veterans that we've interviewed have told us that while they were on the mission deployed, whenever something would happen, a trauma, an event that was hard, once they would come back to the base or it was wherever they would be right after that event, they would just look at each other and use sarcasm or humor to deal with it, but not necessarily talk about it, not emotionally talking about it, like in the sense of, how did you feel? What, what, you know, what are your, what is your emotional state of mind? And that has been a very common comment that I've received. And so what you're saying is important because I hope that military members, active members in military will eventually realize that, you know, once you're, and I haven't been in the military, so I'm not somebody who want to moralize anything on, on that subject. But from what I can hear, I'm using those comments that I've heard. Once the trauma or once that event is behind you, stop for a moment and talk about it. Once you're either in the Grizzly or back at the base or wherever you are, but talk about it. Otherwise, it just goes in a trauma bank. And it goes in the trauma bank, and it adds up, and it adds up. And years later, eventually, just bang, something happens. And I learned from that. And that's why we're talking about it when 
we get out of interviews. I'm always fascinated when somebody like yourself decides to take up the mantle and do this type of work. There are some similar ones out there. Dixon Christie out of Edmonton, he has recorded hundreds, thousands of veteran stories, more trying to um, preserve these stories for history. Uh, The uh, Karen Storwick does it and and it goes into the National Archives. Um, Al Cameron uh, out of the Sylvan Lake area does something similar. He had me on and preserved some stories from Croatia for me. And he's done that hundreds and hundreds of times. And these are all folks that haven't served themselves, but have uh, some connection to service. So what is your connection to this world and what brought you into this world in the first place? It's coincidence. It's pure coincidence. And sometimes it's, that's what happens when you do it, when you, there's a document or there's a subject that, uh, that comes to you. It's a bit of coincidence. I initially, a few years back, I was helping a student as I was teaching in photography. I was helping a student that had a great project of portraits with veterans that had both uh, mental and physical injuries. And I kind of mentored her uh, throughout this project, and I just discovered a world that I didn't know of, both the world of the military through the eyes of the veterans and also PTSD, which I didn't know nothing about. And coming out of this project with her, at some point, she just gave me that sentence and she said, it now is your time to find your own project. And so I started working on my own documentary project because I was already going in that, going back in that field that I left many years ago uh, because I wanted my work to mean something. And so going back to search for my subject, that's how I found uh, the forge in uh, Cornell, BC with that program, equine therapy program, I got in touch with uh, Terry and Paul, and I said, this is who I am. I want to tell your story. I want to tell this uh, story of the of the project, because part of my work is aiming at working on social issues, but also with the link between human and animal, and our responsibility towards humans, so uh, t- towards animals. And so the equine therapy project was linking both to what I just had discovered, by helping the student and my objective in doing documentary. And so that's how it started. And from that project called, uh, that documentary called 10 Days, you know, things moved on and I got in touch with Michael and he said, well, this is who I am, as I initially told you. And so coincidence again, and coincidence mixed with interests. Going to have to watch the 10 Days one. Um, did you go through the equine therapy program personally? No, no, I, I, I haven't. I don't have PTSD. Um, I'm not a veteran. I'm a civilian. So really, it's something that I started learning as it went on, and I did some research for more than a year on PTSD, uh, following the the docu- the first document documentary ten days to prepare for my documentary with Michael. And also the interviews that would come with that. So I did some research for about a year. Um, spoke with three, two psychologists and one, one psychiatric um, specializing in, among other things, in PTSD. To make sure that I need to have uh, credibility. At least 
looking at myself, I needed to feel like I had credibility when I was going to do that film, you know, that I knew what I was talking about without being a specialist, without having any intent to be a spokesperson for PTSD. That's not my intent. It's to tell a story, but I wanted to know what I was going to tell. Equine therapy, people give me a blank look when I bring it up. They're like, what the heck is that? And I have found myself struggling to describe it properly. I've gone through um, a program through Prairie Skies Equine Therapy. Fantastic. I've had Jessica Vanderhoek, who is the facilitator and the horse master. She's been on my show a few times. Um, Mm -hmm. How would you describe equine therapy to somebody? And um, before you you go ahead with that, I got to say, just because you've had equine therapy doesn't mean that you understand it completely because everybody's got their own take every um, equine assisted therapy program is going to be different they're going to have a different way of doing it um so there's but there's still going to be some crossover there so how would you describe equine therapy to somebody from what you were able to observe and before i do uh, you're right because there's different programs some will do horse bike riding others don't and in this case the forge they mostly do not do horseback riding. It, they're accompanied by a horse throughout these 10 days. And it's by being in contact with that horse that they learn to get in touch with their emotions. The horse kind of mirrors their behavior. The horses, as a horde, as a group, as a herd, sorry, uh, as a flight or fight instinct. And as Paul Nichols used to say to me, um, this is like in the military. You're either on or you're off. And it's the same thing with the horses. And so when you're with your horse and you feel good, your behavior with the horse will have an impact on the horse's behavior with you. If you're in a bad day, your horse will tell you. Just is its behavior and so terry and paul that's what they were doing for these 10 days is linking up with a veteran with a horse on the very first day and saying this is going to be this is going to be your mirror for the next 10 days and through or with the help of this horse you're going to get in touch with your emotions you're going to better understand we're going to try to make sure that you better understand what your behavior is in certain situations, your link with your emotions, what you're going through on some days. But also, it's a lot about mindfulness. It's a lot about breathing. And so, again, with the, uh, with the company of your horse, um, any facilitator, depending on the project, will... Also, very uh, in this, at least in the case of the forge, uh, Terry Nichols and Paul were very much focusing on the breeding process. How important it is to breed, which is something that we do. I mean, I don't have to explain that to anybody, but we kind of forget how important it is in the process of uh, healing and the process of looking at yourself and un- better understanding yourself, and so. The horse does that with you. He mirrors your behavior. He helps you understand that what you're doing or not doing has an impact on others. And so 
when they come out of it, they have an, they have a better idea that, oh, this is what's happening when I behave like that with my colleagues, with my family, with my friends. I saw that. I saw the reaction of the horse, even without talking. I saw the reaction of the horse in different situations. I, that made me realize how my behavior has an impact not only on myself, but on the ones that are close to me. And so there, and there's much more to that, but that gives you an idea in just a few minutes, I'd, I'd say. <laughs> well, Patrice, I think you did really well there. Bien fait. It's um, exactly right. So I would only add a little bit to it is that the greatest damage that PTSD does or some of the great damage that it does is it takes away your self-awareness. People don't like to be told that they don't have self-awareness. If you tell somebody that, they say, yeah, screw you. Or it's like, it's like telling somebody who's being childish that they're being childish. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. Yes, you are. But um, that's because they have a lack of self-awareness. That's why they don't know they're being childish. Um, self-awareness is the core of healing. It's the absolute core of healing. It's the purpose of therapy. Um, and it is the takeaway from psychedelic therapy as well. It all boils down to true self-awareness, which is putting that mirror in front of you to, to show you. It's like, look, you, you keep bullshitting yourself. <laughs> you keep telling yourself these lies. This mirror, look at the damn mirror. Mm. Look at the lies you tell yourself and that you tell others. You can't tell those lies. Because you can't heal until you until you face the truth of yourself and who you are and how you impact others. And the horses are a beautiful and gentle way of showing you that. If the horse is high anxiety and, and belligerent, that's you. Yeah. <laughs> it's reflecting your energy, your high energy or high anxiety and belligerent. That's why the horse is is doing that and having that experience is just phenomenal when we were um, in the round pen and making the horses move just from energy or encouraging them to move we can't make them do anything but um, encouraging them to move using just energy and mm -hmm. and feeling yourself bringing the energy up and bringing the energy down and you see the the horse move and you're like oh that's how i affect a room in um, peer support groups, we talk about the blast radius quite often. It's a military term. If you throw a grenade or an artillery piece or any explosion, it has a blast radius. So a grenade has a blast radius, a kill radius of like five meters and an injury radius, like a danger radius of 20 meters, whatever it is. I don't have those numbers right, <laughs> so, but uh, something like that. Either way, um, there is a, a blast radius. And we're like that with ourselves um with our our temper or just a lack of patience and you don't have to have an emotional outburst for it to affect everybody else um, people can just feel the energy off you and well but i didn't say a word i didn't i didn't even say anything yeah we can still feel it dude <laughs> <laughs> You know, you can still feel that 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 tension coming off of somebody. They don't have to say a word, and right. um, our energy affects others around us. Is the point? And actually, I would say that that will also help not only people that have PTSD, but just anybody actually to be 
more self-aware of what you're saying and how you're behaving. You know, we all make mistakes on a daily basis. We all we all lack that self-awareness every once in a while. I do. I'm the first to admit that I do. And and doing this project has made me more aware of that. Um, so I can only imagine before. <laughs> but but the, that notion of self-awareness is really really important in that in that uh, in these um, kind of therapies. Yeah, for the healing process, at least you know. Yeah. So, uh, tell me about the the uh, short documentary film that you made, The Messenger. Uh, tell me about um, what were your takeaways? What did you learn from from doing that and watching Mike uh, uh, riding across the country? And were you riding with him as well? I saw a second KLR in the video there. Um, so no, I'm not riding with him. Um, Michael is on his bike, uh, across Canada. We got to meet him in Owen Sound for different reasons among, uh, financial. I couldn't do the whole, uh, journey across Canada with him. So we met him in Owen Sound in Ontario. And then from that point on traveled across Western Canada with him did almost 14,000 kilometers and that just completed a few days ago in BC. Um, what I would say is that, and I don't know how much is going to shock or disturb, but from what I can hear, it's not necessarily a question of healing from it, but it's mainly to learn to live with it, to learn to deal with it and develop tools that will make you just in regards to PTSD, a better person. Um, and how does motorcycle and, riding do that? I'm sorry. And how does how does that happen from riding a motorcycle? Well, the motorcycling part of it is about hypervigilance in some case. Uh, the fact that when Michael rides like that, for him, he's being hypervigilant, but that suddenly, that tool that could affect him in the daily life helps him when he's riding. Um, it's kind of a moving meditation for him to be on, their, on his bike. Uh, and I've, we've met quite a few, actually. We've had uh, uh, quite a few people that we met on the road that were either in their car or on their bike and that had PTSD. At some point, my colleague and I were kind of surprised because we were meeting all, every day we were meeting people that had PTSD. They were just coming up to us wherever we would stop and they would say eventually, oh, what are you doing? Why you got this trailer? Because we have our car and we have our trailer. To answer your question that I delayed kind of answering is, well, uh, it's because I've got equipment, so I cannot afford to be on a bike. Unfortunately for my colleague, who would love to be on the bike, but he can't. Um, but um, And so everywhere we stop, so many places that we've stopped, these coincidences in meeting these people that would just cross our path and say, what are you doing? I'm doing documentary, traveling across Canada with Mike, with Michael, who's, uh, who's somewhere around there camping. And that person would say, well, I have PTSD. I was night. We met somebody in high level, a couple. And within 10 minutes, she said, well, we have, P I have PTSD. I was diagnosed a year ago. A few days later in another part of the, the province, we met somebody, uh, beside the lake. She came to Michael, talked to him with her dog. She was camping there, and she she was from uh, she's a veteran from the RCMP, saying, "Well, I've got P PTSD too." And so, what 
what's the take on that project? It's the meaning of these people. Every time we stop, whether they do have Well, we're frozen. Well, I'll wait for him to unfreeze. We have Patrice Berriot on the show. He's a documentary filmmaker. Uh, there's a couple of questions here that I have in the comments. Uh, Elisa Marriott is asking, where's the film available? Uh, I've put links to it on my Facebook page and on the Operation Tango Romeo page. So those links are there now. And when I publish this this show, this particular episode, I'll have links to um, all of the documentary films that he's done. I'll try to find the 10 Days one, and I'll definitely do a link to The Messenger, which is the reason that I have him on. And I don't think I'm going to get Patrice back. So <laughs> I think we're, we're going to have to pull the plug there. Uh, sometimes it, uh, the, the buffering ends and we can get him back, but it looks like we're done. Oh, he's gone. Well, I'm going to stay on the line here for a little bit because sometimes they come right back. I got uh, Christina putting in a, a note here that uh, road trips are healing. I think so. I've had the good fortune of participating in the rolling barrage four out of the six years. And the rolling barrage, for those that don't know, I've I've had um, various people from the rolling barrage on the show. The, ro- the rolling barrage is a cross-Canada motorcycle relay not a race, but it's a motorcycle relay doing the same thing, raising awareness for PTSD, but more than just awareness is raising funds. Then they take those funds and they donate them to various vetted charities that uh, support those who are suffering with and trying to recover from post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a terrible injury. So, um, this year, the Rolling Barrage, I did not ride with them. I just met with them when they rolled into Okotoks, and it was good to see a lot of those smiling faces. What I would say I have found from doing the long rides, it, it is meditation. It is uh, digital detox, and for me, it is healing. And we got Patrice back on. I'll just bring him on here. You're back. Oh, and you're on mute, Patrice. I can't hear you. You're 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 on you're on mute. Yeah, I can't hear you, Patrice. And we'll we'll end it there, and I'll just have to give him a call. Anyway, thanks everybody for your patience and for uh, powering through the technical difficulties. That's just the way she is when you got people on their phones uh, for, for some of these interviews. But thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't tried equine therapy, I think Patrice did a great job of explaining it. It's fantastic, and it is. It does the same thing as psychedelics and so many others. It increases your self-awareness. And only by increasing your self-awareness can you understand the world around you. It really does start with self-awareness. That's the center point. That's the beginning. And it's the hardest part because when there's parts of yourself that are affecting the world in a negative way, uh, it's just our ego tends to bury it. And we don't want to see it. We don't want to see it in ourselves. But... It's going to keep happening. Like it's, It doesn't make it go away. We have to figure out what is our impact on the world. How do we impact others? And then we got to own it. 
We have to own it. And until we do that, healing just ain't going to happen, folks, <laughs> I'm afraid. When you take psychedelics, it throws you into a state of you, you, just, you can't hide from it. It puts that mirror in your face and you have to see your shit. You have to see it. And psychedelics doesn't give you a choice. Once you jump off that cliff, there's no, <laughs> there's no fighting it. Um, you're going to be shown. And that's the power of psychedelics. Well, he's coming back one more time. We'll try one last time. Oh, I can hear you. Can you hear me? All right. Oh, okay. So, uh, you are on mute guys, last time. My uh, iPhone just warmed up so much that there's this uh, emergency uh, that came on and it just oh. shut down. So sorry. Oh, uh, that's all right. I was monologuing <laughs> to, to to fill the space th- through all that. So, um, but let's keep trucking. I was I was just about to close out the show, <laughs> but uh, I was just about to hit the magic button. But then he, he came. You came back. Um, okay, uh, tell me what you've discovered from all the research you've done and all the stories, how would you say uh, the injury of PTSD affects those around us? How does it affect our families? What does it look like? Um, well, the uh, interesting part is that in interviewing uh, so many people is that I was able to interview a few of them that did not have PTSD, but that were living with someone that had PTSD. And the common denominator um, is that it affects them on a daily life. Well, there's many ways it does affect them on a daily life. And I don't know if I'm answering correctly your, your question, but to the, one of the main tools to help somebody that has PTSD when you're living with that person is listening, communicating. Communication is essential. Listening is essential. Not judging is essential. And I would say that um, for for those who are doing well, over these 40 interviews that I've done, and I would add to that the nine interviews that I did with 10 days, so that's almost 50 interviews I've done, um, I would add that those who are doing well and I'm not saying this is generalizing for everyone, but those who are doing well are those that are accompanied by people around them. They are the ones that are not isolating themselves. And when they start talking to those around them and saying, well, this is what's happening. This is what I'm living or going through. And this is how I'm trying to heal. And this is how I'm going to need your help. I'm not gonna, sometimes I'm going to need to talk. They're just going to have to listen. Um, and how it has affected is that PTSD affects both the person that has it, but the people around, because the people around don't know what it is. They don't have the tools most of the time. Um, and so this is also what they have to learn to develop. They have to learn to develop tools in the company of those who live with PTSD. They have to, they have to get those tools as well. And this is not something you learn by reading a book, you know, the 10 best tools to heal PTSD. It's not how it works, but it's through accompanying that person that lives with PTSD, that tries to heal with it or from it and or deal, cope with it. 
uh, and it's a really a daily process. It really needs to be a partnership, and that's I would say. Um, and often, I've spoke with my colleague Gauthier coming out of the interviews and saying, "Well, they're doing better because they're doing it together. Those that are doing it alone, I, they seem to have a little bit more difficulties." So the communication, it doesn't need that. Doesn't mean you have to live with that person that helps you or that is beside you. It's just having friends, colleagues, family, just one person. It doesn't have to be a lot, but that do understand you, are there for you, are there to listen, and you should not be afraid to communicate. You should not be afraid to tell it to someone you trust. This is what's happening with me. So, yeah. I don't know if I answered your question correctly. You did, very, you did very well. You did very well. <laughs> it's always good to hear it from from another person's perspective. Now, if somebody wants to watch either The Messenger or 10 Days, where's all your work? Is it, is it for public consumption? Can anybody uh, watch your work? So the I've got Facebook pages. The best way is through the Facebook pages. Um, so. Okay. Obviously, I've got, well, obviously, I do have my website that if people are interested, it's Patrice Birio. So it's all in one word, Patrice Birio, but my name, dot film. So that's my website, Patrice Birio dot film. Otherwise, you can go on Facebook and you can search 10 days dot documentary to eventually find a link if you want to rent uh, the the documentary and see the, the interviews as well. There, it's possible. So it's ten days dot documentary. Same thing applies for the messenger. The messenger dot documentary, and um, so the messenger dot documentary will continue to be fed throughout the next year. We're about five days off from our Indiegogo campaign. So if anybody's listening and they want to help us fund uh, the project, uh, it's basically to help us throughout the production because right now it's self-financed um, and so we've got this uh, crowdfunding campaign So the, and we also do publications on not necessarily a daily basis but very often every week so that we let people know what's happening both in front of behind and behind the camera and not just about PTSD we don't all want to overload with the PTSD subject but it's I thought it would be interesting for people to follow us throughout the project and feel with us what it is that we're living on a daily basis. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, I'm going to, when we close out, I'm going to get you to stay on the line because I know a few different resources that might be able to uh, donate to you to, to to help you to, to to keep going. So there's a few. Um, (laughs) The work you do is so, so important and what i'm going to do is i'm going to have all the links i'm going to i'm going to be jumping onto facebook finding the links and when i publish this show um it's going to have all those links so for anybody listening if you could spend a couple of bucks to rent these documentaries that's all going to go to help him on this incredibly important mission patrice merci beaucoup mon frère thank you very much appreciate it Uh, and please stay on the line i will You are listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hello, my friends. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I hope you found value in today's episode. If you found this episode helpful, healing, or informative, 
Please let me know by leaving a rating on either Spotify or Apple. And please share, share like the sugar bear on all of your social media channels. Because sharing is caring.